0: Crimes from the East and I'm so sorry we missed uploading an episode last week but I just, I was feeling kind of sickly and Alex had a huge workload of graphic design to get through and so, yeah, we just we weren't able to get it done Guys, sorry about that, but we're back Hello Yeah, go ahead Alex
1: It's me, I'm here and I just wanted to say hello. It's your friendly neighborhood chaos magician. I'm convinced that I'm a chaos magician this week because like life has been cuckoo bananas. And somehow I feel like I'm manifesting these cuckoo bananas just Uh because I don't know. I don't know why I'm doing it.
0: It's just coming out of your pores. You have chaos coming out of your pores. Yeah,
1: I think I need to read about some chaos magic. I'm aware of like Alistair Crowley. I don't even think he's a chaos magician, but I'm aware of him. And uh, I'm vaguely aware of what the whole thing is. But to me, it's just you manifest strange things in the world. Mm -hmm. It's like a mixture of reverse psychology and insanity. And that's how I feel like my life and the world is right now.
0: For me, it's not so much chaos. It's caused by my own health being kind of shitty. And it's just weird. I don't even know what I had. I just had migraines, headaches, feeling weak, dizzy. I got a COVID test. It was negative. So I don't even know what it was. But it just left me unable to do anything. Was there a full moon?
1: This might be chaos magic gone bad. Uh Uh-oh. Like you... You... (laughs) Accidentally cast a spell you didn't even realize it and it backfired on you big time. Oh no. I think we're all chaos magicians. Yes, I love it. I hate it. It's terrible.
0: Remember we named you uh, Tulpa a couple episodes ago?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 That's me. I'm a chaos magic Tulpa magician. Yeah, I think
0: it's come back to haunt us. So that's what's happened. You've become the Tulpa.
1: <laughs> Is there any kind of chaos magic? Sort of thing in India. Can we do uh, an episode that involves some magic?
0: Okay, there is black magic in India, right? All the tantric black magic crap that goes on. I mean, I don't think it's real, but whatever. At least they have fun doing it. They have all kinds of weird rituals and... Uh, animal sacrifices and whatnot and I don't want to do none of that Uh-uh. I think at most I might no. sacrifice maybe like a piece of bacon or <laughs> like a couple eggs with some onion and <laughs>
1: yeah I'll, I'll sacrifice a burger into my stomach <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> we're gonna have to do some kind of uh, sage cleansing or whatever to kind of get our mm-hmm. lives back on track and Well, also, I think not just us, but there's been so much chaos in the world. Like just looking at the state of things in India, my gosh, it's it's just terrible out there. And if any one of our listeners live in India, like take care of yourselves, take care of your families, stay indoors as much as you can. And if you're able to help others
1: do so carefully
0: through donations or yeah, do so carefully for oxygen and funds and whatnot. like. Gosh, like our hearts and our thoughts are with all of you because my mom still lives Absolutely. in India and she's been isolating for like a year now. She's still got COVID. Yeah, it's just breaking my heart to hear about all the hundreds and thousands of people who are struggling with this.
1: Of course, India has to get the like full on apocalyptic zombie version of this virus. It sucks.
0: The country's government servants failed them miserably miserably yeah what do they do they go out and campaign for elections this is what they do they allow and almost encourage you know religious get-togethers gatherings and festivals like the Kumbamela, mela where there were i don't know how many millions of people
1: i saw photos that was crazy
0: what kind of stupidity is this it just yeah god i can't there's no way that is justified in any world
1: the real true crime is actually a politics podcast
0: (laughs) yeah the biggest true crime is going on in india right now i just i beg you don't forgive and don't forget
1: and please don't send us anthrax
0: (laughs) yeah i'm not opening any mail any unknown mail but (laughs) but yeah like i said Hold everyone accountable. Yeah. The next time yeah. you have a choice of who to represent you in your government,
1: take advantage of your democratic rights.
0: So, enough of our rants.
1: We love you. Stay safe.
0: Yes. We love the people. We wish you the best.
1: Probably completely unrelated to what we're going to spend the rest of this podcast talking about. <laughs> this is a true crime podcast.
0: <laughs> so, Alex. It's time we get back to the true crime basics.
1: Hey, there we go. Okay. Today's
0: episode is about the evil and heartless actions of a Desi serial killer,
1: <gasps>
0: Cyanide Mohan.
1: Oh, Cyanide Mohan. Okay. Is this
0: our first serial killer? No, this is the second one. The first one was Stone Man, which I did with Katie.
1: Oh, true, true, true. Yeah.
0: But that one was unresolved. This one, we'll see how it goes. At least we know his name.
1: That was a crazy story.
0: This prolific killer lived and operated in the picturesque coastal towns of Mangaluru, or what we called Mangalore, a couple years ago. Yeah. The main source of all information today is an article written by Anil Budur Lala on OpenTheMagazine.com. His article is just, it's top shelf. I read like almost 15 or 20 articles on this case and his is the best. It is the most comprehensive, okay. detail-oriented, and empathetic treatment of the case and the victims. If you want more information about this case, you go check out openthemagazine.com and check out the article by Anil Lala. All right. Come, come. Let us not tarry Alex. Let's get into it.
1: Bring me to the story.
0: Okay. So as I usually do, I'm going to set up the scene for where all of this takes place. The prosperous port city of Mangaluru is in Karnataka. And most people have heard of Bengaluru, the IT mm-hmm. hub of India, but few are mm-hmm. aware of this picturesque, well-developed coastal city of Mangaluru. It's an old city with trading history going back at least a thousand years.
1: Okay, so the name, the difference is literally from a B to an M?
0: Yes, Bengaluru and Mengaluru.
1: Okay, Mengaluru.
0: Yeah, oh, Bengaluru. So I present to you quotes from the 1st century Roman historian Pliny the Elder and 2nd century Greek historian Ptolemy, Ooh. both of whom referred to this place called Nitra, which was a dangerous port infested with pirates, they said. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, the area had many famous visitors like Vasco de Gama, the Portuguese explorer, who was the first to establish a sea route from Europe to India.
1: Wow. Should I attempt to say his name in a Portuguese accent?
0: Oh, go ahead. Vasco de Gama.
1: I'm sorry to my Brazilian friends and any Brazilian listeners. Vasco de Gama. <laughs> Vas- Vasco de Gama. Okay, we're... <laughs>
0: No, never mind. (laughs) Let's just say Vasco de Gama and get on with it. Anyway, Mangaluru was historically the major port of trade for black pepper, rice, coffee, cashew nuts. India gave the world black pepper, by the way. Did you know that?
1: This is my favorite spice.
0: Black pepper. It's 100% ours. Okay, when I say ours, I mean Indian.
1: (laughs) Indian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That should be our national plant. That should be our national fruit.
0: You're welcome.
1: Yeah, world.
0: (laughs) Just imagine all your food minus our black pepper. Not so hot.
1: Yeah, it would just be cacio without India, Italy.
0: (laughs) Oh, no cacio, pepe. It's just cacio. exactly. Well, again, (laughs) you're welcome. Oh, my God. Look at us taking credit for something we have no contribution into whatsoever.
1: I'll take it. Just pat, it. pat your back.
0: <laughs> oh, that's ours. That was ours. Okay. So the port is beautiful. It's well-developed. It's clean. And in some surveys, a few years ago, Mengaluru was ranked 41st best city to live in globally. It beat San Francisco. Wow. It beat San Francisco.
1: I mean, San Francisco is beautiful, but damn, it's expensive.
0: Yeah, that's probably why.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, a good place to live in is, for me, cheap, pretty, has good food, close to water.
0: Done. 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 Yeah, Mangaluru has the 12th best medical healthcare system in the world.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Okay. I mean, damn. The whole time I lived in India, I never even thought of moving there. So it seems like... Hidden treasure. They've done a good job of keeping it a secret. Yes. Good job, Mangalorians. Good job. Very smart.
1: Sorry we're blowing up your spot right now.
0: (laughs) To all of our 50 (laughs) listeners, don't tell anyone about Mangalore. Let it stay the paradise that it is. Okay.
1: Hot tips.
0: Despite all of these accolades and opportunities, there are still some humans who will always end up choosing the most evil, and low-life paths for themselves. And today's story demonstrates that. It's nature versus nurture. Ooh. So when such a city is so well built, it has a history of being prosperous. Even the neighboring towns and cities and villages, you know, they kind of benefit, benefit from that. Yeah, they benefit from that success, right? So mm-hmm. even having all of this going on in that area, it doesn't prevent criminals From, you know, moving on with their agenda. So it goes to show human nature is, the human condition is incurable.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just a numbers game, I think, you know. You're gonna get a
0: bad egg. Yes. So, on June 17th, 2009, 22-year-old Anita went missing from the village of Barimaru in the laid-back and scenic district of Bantwal. Anita had left home with gold jewelry, money, and an expensive cell phone. Her mother, Kusuma, was at work that day, tending to the crops in their fields, and the others were away from home, so no one really saw her leaving with all of these items, but they saw her getting ready, and then she wasn't there at home, so it was as if she just simply walked out and vanished without a trace. For two days, her family searched high and low for her in and around the village of Barimaru. But they had no luck, no success. And so they went to the police to log a missing person's case. Mm -hmm. She belongs to a family that isn't prosperous or rich. And so the police, as usual, were insipid and unreactive to the plight of poor villagers who went to them for help. Yeah. But there came a twist. In this disappearance that lit the fire sky high, the local okay. Hindutva groups, they started a baseless rumor that Anita had been a victim of a love jihad and needed to be found and rescued at once.
1: So many questions.
0: Are you confused a little bit, like, about the words yeah. that just came out of my mouth?
1: All of them. <laughs>
0: okay. Hindutva. So there are many... Communal right-wing groups in India who are rather aggressive in their Hindu-first agendas. And they float sensationalist propagandas and conspiracies to fan the flames of unrest and chaos. It's a political tool, essentially, to sway gullible fools into thinking that they are somehow protecting their beliefs, which are under constant attack.
1: Hmm, I wonder where else that has happened in the world. (laughs) Sounds really unfamiliar.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the White Lives Matter movement. Like, multiply that by 100 times and add a bunch of violence in there.
1: There you go. White nationalists, you don't have to feel so bad.
0: Yeah, you have friends in India, too.
1: Yikes. We really have to not open our mail this week.
0: I don't think so. I think all of our listeners are pretty cool. They're pretty savvy. They're Mm -hmm. sensible people. Okay. So the other term I used was love jihad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is one of those dumbass conspiracies created by right-wing groups, which alleges that Muslim men seduce, deceive, and kidnap Hindu women to convert them to Islam and have multiple kids to increase their population. (sighs) Are you feeling stupider just by hearing those words?
1: I'm feeling very goaty right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel stupid just by listening to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, there are enough fools who believe in this garbage. So that's, that's the sad part. And unfortunately, we're making fun of this, but it is a very serious misinformation campaign. And many people have lost their lives because of such allegations. Yeah. And so in our case... Even the local police themselves were claiming that it was love jihad and that the family of Anita should just forget about her, that she had simply run away. Some communal group in Maru, when they decided this was a perfect opportunity to exploit the distress of a family, calling it a case of love jihad, and they made sure it went into the media. So the whole community got behind it and so did the right wing groups and they kind of pursued it made it a big deal yeah they had protests and they threatened to burn down the police station if they didn't find anita soon so it kind of backfired
1: good attention but for the wrong reason hey
0: yeah it served anita's family well
1: yeah but also a bunch of
0: prejudice inspector nanjunde Gora, the head of the shampigahali police station in Bangalore, was put in charge and quickly formed a team to investigate the disappearance. So it looks like the big guns were called in from the capital city to look at this case with the utmost urgency. Why? Because it became a matter of religion instead of a woman who had vanished. Unbeknownst to the officer and the family, Anita's body had actually been found in a lady's bathroom at a bus stand a hundred miles away. She was found deceased, frothing at the mouth. The family and the, and the police looking at this case had no idea about it.
1: But they didn't realize because they didn't identify the body.
0: Officer Gowda's team tried to trace Anita's cell phone and her landline. They looked at the cell phone records. They found that there was a number that she spoke to quite often and for long periods of time for the past couple of months. It belonged to a man in the neighboring city of Kurg. The man was located, but surprisingly he said that the cell phone was being used by his sister Kaveri mm-hmm. and Kaveri had herself been missing since March of that year
1: oh my gosh yeah. what what year is this again?
0: Two thousand and nine
1: okay, so are we still in flip phone territory? no. We're beginning to smartphone. Two thousand and
0: nine.
1: It's I think the first i iPhone. So this was definitely flip phone time.
0: I believe I had a Samsung phone at that time. It wasn't a flip phone. Okay. It was kind of like well, it wasn't a smart smartphone, but it had a lot of nice apps and stuff.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So Kaveri's call records were scanned, and the number that she talked to for the longest period and late mm-hmm. into the night was traced. And that number belonged to a woman called Pushpa. Pushpa had been missing for a whole year.
1: Oh my God, there's just a trail of missing women.
0: (gasps) Keeping the chain of investigation going, Pushpa's call records led the officer to yet another missing woman called Vinuta, who had been missing the year before.
1: It's like a freaking dominoes.
0: Bit by bit, number by number, police uncovered a trail of 20 missing women from the villages and towns surrounding Mangalore. It was as if a curse bound these women together to an unknown fate. The initial suspicion of the police in this case was that it was some sort of human trafficking ring. Like since the majority of these women came Mm -hmm. from marginalized groups where they were at a socioeconomic disadvantage Mm -hmm. um, because of which they were all unmarried at that time for some reason or the other. They couldn't afford a dowry or they were past the marriageable age. And so the cops jumped to the conclusion that they had either willingly or deceptively been trafficked into sex work. Okay. So they raided... Many small motels and shady establishments in search of this apparent human trafficking gang, but they couldn't find a single clue. Like, it, it didn't exist at all. Mm-hmm. The discovery of such a large number of connected disappeared women prompted the police to now seek out more information about unidentified decedents found in neighborhood jurisdictions. Okay. So, when someone is found deceased at a certain location and no one comes to claim the body, what happens is that the cops will perform some kind of superficial autopsy or postmortem and figure out how the person died. They will print the information, identifying marks and a picture in the local newspaper. Okay. And wait for someone to come and identify and claim the body as their family member. Oh. After a certain period of time, if there are no responses, they will bury the body or cremate the body. I don't know what decides one way or the other. Basically, it turns into a cold case. They just yeah. put the case away and forget about it. To their horror, they were able to connect these 20 women to uh, deceased women found in all of those towns. They had all been found dead, including Anita herself.
1: Okay. Wow.
0: So the case of these missing women turned into a case of murdered women. A massive number of people. 20 women. It was over a period of five years from 2004 to 2009 that these 20 women had been murdered. So, yeah. Wow. What was common in all of these cases? Mm-hmm. These 20 women had been found frothing at the mouth in ladies' bathrooms of various major intercity bus stands. They were all dressed in special occasion bridal saris, but weren't wearing jewelry. Creepy. Which is highly unusual for Indian women. Traditional Indian women will have some form of jewelry on her. Yeah. They'll wear gold bangles or a necklace or nose rings and earrings. Something. Yeah, something. You gotta have something. Autopsies had been conducted on them, and most of them had found to have died from poisoning. Okay. The viscera of only two women had been preserved by some diligent medical officer, and the cause of their death was finally determined to be from cyanide. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah.
1: I thought cyanide was supposed to be great because it was untraceable or undetectable or something. No, it's just very effective, right? I don't know. Never mind. I have no idea.
0: Cyanide is not untraceable. It is very traceable. And it okay. is, yes, highly, highly effective. Yeah. Um, you die within oh. minutes, like one to two minutes, you're dead, depending on the dosage. Yeah. So despite there being a clear evidence of suspicious death in all of these cases... Mm-hmm. All of them were simply marked as suicide. That makes sense. The pictures of the bodies were published in the local newspapers. And since no one came to claim them, their cases were discarded in the, into the abyss of unsolved cases in India. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what they did, they did the bare minimum. They put their picture in their local newspaper. Okay, now there's so many towns in that area of Mangalore. And their local newspaper may only serve, let's say, 50 kilometers or so. So if these women came from the neighborhood towns, nobody from their family is going to see that newspaper. How will they know? Yeah. People can't trace it themselves. However, police departments can still share this information, right? Mm -hmm. When a family goes to the cops and says, someone is missing, can you help us? They are supposed to do that. They are supposed to inquire in other towns and look for any deceased people found missing and then try to match the two, right? Mm -hmm.
1: You'd think that there would be some kind of missing person's... Database? I don't know. What is it called? Database, exactly.
0: I don't know if it exists in India at this point. I mean, I saw something. I did do a search. I found a public portal which the mm-hmm. NCRB has created for people to use. NCRB I, I believe is National Crime Records Bureau.
1: Okay. So
0: they've made a website where ordinary citizens can log in, you can put in your information and look for missing persons cases.
1: Okay.
0: However, that doesn't help if you find someone deceased, right? That's a different whole
1: different That's a
0: different database category. Yeah. Only law enforcement has access to that. Okay. Having the data is useless unless you use it, unless you connect it with other right. elements. None of these cops were doing any of this. They weren't actively mm. trying to find the missing people.
1: Yeah. So they said a lot of these, they just chalked up many, if not all of these deaths to suicide?
0: Yes, even in the two cases something? where cyanide was found in their body, they chalked it up as suicide. Cyanide. Who would want to do that to themselves? That's crazy. It's a very painful death. And also like how would
1: they even get the cyanide? That's such a specific drug, no?
0: Good question, Alex. Cyanide is not an easily found poison, and we will talk about that later. Okay. So, who was responsible for all of these serial murders. Because there seems to be a very set pattern of how these women disappeared. The appearance of the women when they were found. And the manner in which they were killed. Yeah. That is now a serial killer. So as the cyber cell scanned through the data dump of cell phone records of all of these women. They found that there was one IMEI number. Which kept popping up in the list of active phones that was calling the victims in the last few months. Okay, let me explain a little bit here. Yes, please. IMEI or International Mobile Equipment Identity is a unique number associated with each cell phone. So every time you connect to an active network, your IMEI information is sent along with other cell phone data to the towers so that you can use the network to do whatever with your phone. So this IMEI number is not connected to your number. It's connected to your physical phone. Hardware. Your hardware. Yeah. So it doesn't matter who's using it, but that phone has that number which can locate it. They can find the geo positioning coordinates of that phone from Mm -hmm. the network.
1: Okay. So it was one phone using different SIM cards?
0: That's right. This one phone had used... Mm -hmm different SIM cards belonging to this victim to talk to other victims. So clearly it is someone connected to this whole ordeal and they need to find this yeah. phone.
1: Trying to be smart, but not smart.
0: This is a crucial lead to catch the serial killer, right? You find the phone, you'll find the killer. Yeah, totally. In October of 2009, this is when this happened in October. Anita went missing in June. It is now October. Mm-hmm. The cyber cell alerted the cops that this number was currently active in a village called Mm. Deralakatte, just outside of Mangalore. The phone with this IMEI number was actually Anita's new phone, which she had on her when she disappeared. That's how they knew about this IMEI number, because Anita's brother had gifted her that phone. So I assume he had the box which has the IMEI number printed on it. And he must have given it mm-hmm. to the cops saying, mm-hmm. this is Anita's phone. Can you trace it? And so they looked in the records and found that number of Anita's phone. And they, and they saw that it was mm-hmm. active in their Alakate.
1: But it was being used with a different SIM?
0: Yes, it was being used with a different SIM not belonging to the victim. They went to the location given to them by the Cybercell team. They found a young teenager playing with the phone. And this guy looks, he's a kid. He's like a 14, 13-year-old yeah. kid. There's no way this is the murderer. Ooh,
1: I don't know. 13 years old children are scary. <laughs> Just kidding.
0: So they questioned him, and they asked him, like, whose phone is this? What do you, whose phone is this? And he said that this phone was given to him by his uncle, Mohan Kumar. Oh. Now they had a name. They go to Mohan's home, and they ambushed him successfully. They caught him. Okay. Yep. At his home, they found visiting cards with various fake names like Anand and Bhaskar. He had in his possession eight tablets of cyanide, four mobile phones, jewelry belonging to the victims, including Anita's jewelry. Damn. And most importantly, they found a diary in which Mohan had meticulously written down names and details of dozens upon dozens of women. The ones... (sighs) that didn't respond favorably to his advances were crossed out in red ink.
1: Ah! Yeah.
0: Sloppy as
1: hell, uh-huh. A-B-U. Mm-hmm. Gross. He sounds like some kind of pickup artist gone terribly wrong.
0: Yeah, it's like that little black book, but... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just a book of death. Oh my god. Now, there was no demon-faced monster with claws or horns like one would expect someone who killed 20 people to look like. Instead, there stood a rather ordinary-looking short man who looked good for his age at 46, decently dressed and well-kept with a thick mustache. Now, I'm just going to pause here so I can send you a picture of this guy so you can see what he looks like. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Take a look.
1: Uh, Okay, yeah. Uh, He kind of just looks like your everyday uncle a little bit, right?
0: Just an everyday uncle.
1: That's what they always look like, I feel like. Like, unassuming, Mm -hmm. quiet. I mean, sometimes they're crazy, like Richard Chase or, I don't know, Charles Manson. They're, like, kooky characters, but I feel like a lot of times they're Ed Kempers or... Even worse, Ted Bundy's like almost good looking guys, somehow, like normal.
0: Oh, who was that loser? That whiny loser, Israel Keys. Oh, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you would never think this just looks like an uncle who's gonna come and drink tea and sit on the couch while the women talk or something. Exactly. Yikes.
0: Yeah, he just looked so, so harmless.
1: Yeah, he kind of looks like the Lorax. <laughs> Oh, God. I don't think he speaks for the trees, though.
0: Mm Mm-mm. Nope.
1: If he does, it's a very dark message. Sorry, go ahead.
0: (laughs) So Mohan was arrested and taken in for interrogation. And although he was being accused of killing 20 women, Mohan actually confessed to killing 32 women. Wow. So he was very forthcoming. He was happy to talk and boast about his misdeeds, which is pretty typical with killers like this, right? Yeah. Like they think they're all that.
1: I feel like once we hear a bit of his uh, confession, it's going to become all too clear. The motive was very narcissistic.
0: He was more than happy to talk. Like if he hadn't, if he hadn't confessed, it may have made the task of the cops a little harder. To try and pin Mm -hmm. all of these cases to him. But he told them everything. He told them about 32 women that he killed. However, only 20 of these cases were concretely linked to him and he was prosecuted for them. Okay. Maybe they figured if we can at least get him for 20, that's good enough. Yeah. It's a lot of work to prepare each case and try to convict him for it. So they may have figured, let's just do these and we'll see.
1: More than it being like a lot of work, if you don't have something very concrete, maybe like some of the cases were not as secure. And I guess you pose a risk to the entire
0: the house of cards falling down. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Like maybe it was a safer bet to just go with the 20 that they could definitely put him away with and try and. But it just sucks because there are 12 victims who maybe didn't get the right level of justice.
0: I suspect that the police themselves had done nothing in those cases, Mm. had done again the bare minimum or even less to preserve any kind of evidence.
1: So they didn't want to bring light to it. Yeah,
0: exactly. They were kind of exposing their own inefficiencies, their Uh own bumbling of all of these cases and when they were, you know, bringing these cases to light.
1: If you catch someone as red-handed as they caught this guy, it sounds like, then you can only look to some not-so-tight police work for why it didn't get picked up sooner.
0: Exactly. Because it was happening for five years. Yeah. There were clearly very blaring signs. If there was anyone looking for them. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. No one was looking for them. No one was paying attention. No one was sharing information. Mm -hmm. And that's why he was able to get away with it for so long and commit all of these murders. So, well, we have a lot to talk about. Yes, we have a lot to talk about. We have Mohan on the hook. We have to still go over all of his MO and his choice of victims, why he chose them, how he chose them, and what he did. Once oh, he did choose them. I'm scared. I'm worried. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. It's very sad. And we'll go over this in next week's episode. Alex, do you have any final thoughts before we close out the episode? Any serial killer thoughts?
1: Well, I'm going to say right at the top, he didn't do it for the trees.
0: Yeah, he's no Lorax.
1: Even if he looks like the Lorax. Um, it's like he was begging to be caught. First of all, pretty much because like, yeah, it was so formulaic. It sounds very uh, ritualistic, potentially, because Mm -hmm. of the similarities and the process that he kept seem to be repeating in the book and everything. I guess we're going to have to hear more about how he did it. But I'm going to put my serial killer hat on. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put your serial killer hat on do a little bit of research about the psychology of uh, jerks like this and we'll we'll figure out who okay. he reminds us of yeah we'll go over all of that in next week okay sounds good join us again next week for part two of cyanide mohan
1: masala and spice and chaos
0: <laughs> and chaos yeah <laughs> Namaste. 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 bye Bye-bye. bye Bye-bye.